and the Chocolate Factory. A Good Omens multi-voice portfic, written by Entangled Now. Chapter 7 Crowley has no idea what he's doing. Of all the things he thought he might have to plan for today, he hadn't expected some sort of flirtatious back and forth with the world's greatest chocolate manufacturer. He definitely hadn't planned to end up kissing him in a barn that smelled like glacé cherries and fudge, while two sponge cake unicorns watched. He's honestly not sure whether he'd made a huge mistake while angry or taken a step at something reckless and stupid for purely selfish reasons. Either way, cutting out on your 11-year-old nephew to grind against a chocolate billionaire in a stable was definitely not a good look. No one's going to argue with him there. The added fact that Zonka has absolutely no business being interested in him in the first place and was probably finding his frustrated arousal delightfully entertaining is not helping him feel less shitty about himself. Crowley is a temporary amusement for him. There's really no other explanation. He could do better. No, that's probably not true, but he should do better. Though he wonders if anyone he knows would agree with him. Adam, maybe. He always thinks the best of Crowley, even when he doesn't deserve it. But no, who is he kidding? Adam would be thrilled. He'd consider Crowley's personal access to Zonka a grand success. A lifetime supply of free chocolates in exchange for Crowley being forced to listen to musical numbers every time they had sex and having to deal with pets in serious danger of melting in the rain. Which leaves him genuinely worried if they can survive a sudden rainstorm. Because, quite frankly, the unicorns deserve better, too. He resolves to continue being angry, mostly in self-defense, and to stop thinking about that soft-chinned, fluffy-haired idiot who's more complicated than he looks and doesn't coral his impossible unicorns well enough. Surprisingly good kisser, though. Deeply irritating, but true. By the time Crowley meets back up with the group, Warlock has had his ankle, probably just a sprain, iced and bandaged. Also, the wrist he landed on, bruising at worst, looked at by what appears to be an Eric with a medical degree, hopefully a real one. Both the kid and Master Stauling are still stiffly waiting for a tram on the padded seats that ring the room. Warlock swinging his good foot and looking very embarrassed and apologetic now. Dowling grumbles briefly about child endangerment, until Zonka points out that Warlock had broken half a dozen factory rules to get back there in the first place. Not to mention touching the unicorn, technically eating the unicorn, 
when they were effectively still an untested and experimental food product. Sonka is pretty generous, all things considered, offering the same amount in compensation as they'd forfeited once Warlock entered a restricted area, and then offering to let Warlock wait with Wensleydale and his mother to take part in the farewell party at the end. Master Stowling's pride fights briefly with his common sense, and Crowley can see how much of a battle that is for him. He clearly wants to make a fuss. Making a fuss is in Dowling's blood. Crowley has met men like him. In the end, Crowley doesn't think it was Zonka's money that had made his decision for him. No, instead it was Warlock's tearful pleas to not be sent home again. Master Stowling had crumpled up all his displeasure and his hopes at finding out any of Zonka's secret ingredients, or winning a payout for the not actually an accident, and let two Eric's let them back the way they'd come. It is a little strange to only have two other parents on the tour with him as they finish their circuit of the zoo though Brian, Adam and Pepper seem to have already made themselves a tight-knit group of friends during the brief time they've spent together, as kids have a tendency to do. Crowley can't imagine any of them trying to eat a unicorn or falling carelessly into a mixer. Granted, that feels like a low bar. But losing one kid by accident and one by reckless behavior already feels like too many. Once is an accident, twice is coincidence. The other two parents are certainly spending more time watching Brian and Pepper now, who both seem like mostly well-behaved kids, for all that they have a tendency to either know everything or eat everything. Crowley realizes, with a pang of guilt, that Adam is probably the one here most likely to do something stupid. But he'd promised not to fall in any machinery, so he's really hoping he can stick to it. Their next stop on their adventure is the racetrack, the idea of which seems to thrill the remaining kids too much to keep still for the trip there. They are sliding from one side of the tram to the other as it takes a meandering path around the factory complex, revealing long stretches of track which seem to rise into the air and even twist around for some sections. Crowley definitely hopes that the loop-de-loop is just for show and not part of the actual thing, because every time he tried that as a kid, his little plastic house had gone clattering off the track and hit the wall. He's starting to wonder if he can trust what his eyes tell him at this point. Since they'd already told him confidently that there was no way the animals were made of sponge and marzipan and chocolate, only to be proven wrong. He's not used to having to second-guess what he's seeing, and he doesn't like it.
Still, Zonka can't really be intending to send 11-year-olds around an actual racetrack. An actual racetrack with death-defying stunt sections and tight corners and 90-degree turns. Crowley's fairly sure that's very illegal, and he's fully prepared to put his foot down if that's the case. No amount of whining, crying, or tantrum-throwing by Adam is going to change his mind. He can't see Tank Top Dad or Sunglasses Mom letting it pass, either. Still, he watches the tram pull in, watches a vast building the size of an aircraft hangar open its doors as they pass. Crowley sees the briefest shine of wheeled shapes within, before their turning, continuing down a narrower road and then parking beside the black, winding shape of the track. The kids don't have to be encouraged to leave the window they'd been pressed against, collecting their bags and coats and half-tumbling down the steps of the tram, trying to drown each other out, asking if they get to drive the cars and if they can race each other. In a manner of speaking, Sonka replies with a smile. He seems to be able to sidestep a small gaggle of excitable children with almost supernatural skill. Crowley knows this is adult talk for no, but the kids don't seem to hear it as they head out onto the asphalt, to be greeted by a team of Eric's in pit crew outfits handing out racing jackets. Brian is so excited, he actually puts away the chocolate he'd been eating out of his pocket for the last hour. Adam and Brian look like they might fight over the red jacket, but their friendship seems solid enough to weather the argument. Brian gets the blue. Pepper has already slipped her arms into the sleeves of the green one and is asking questions about what Zonka's cars run on. If he says caramel, that's it. Crowley's calling foul. You can make a unicorn out of sponge cake because they don't need internal combustion engines. They don't need to go a hundred miles an hour. They don't need to carry passengers, or submit to the G-forces of tight corners, or stand up to crash without exploding into crumbs and jam. He refuses to live in a world where any vital component of a car could be replaced with jam. That's a step too far for him. Well, now, that's a little complicated. I'm never quite sure I have the right words to explain technical things, though I'm sure one of the Eric's could tell you how it works, if you'd like. Zonka gestures, and a few of the racing Eric's drift over, one of them pushing his goggles up, and the other polishing some sort of chrome car part that has probably never been dirty a day in its life. We'd be happy to, the first one says. Always happy to talk about the cars, adds his twin. The kids decide that they do want a lesson in how everything here works. Crowley is very relieved to learn that they don't run on jam, 
and are not made of sponge cake, though tank top dad seems to have more of a problem with the particulars. There's a lot of nervous laughter and offers of, you can't do that, and, but how does that even work? That shouldn't work. Crowley's never had a car nice enough to worry too much about how to get the best performance out of them. Where he was concerned, it was mostly basic maintenance, first aid and help, until something inevitably broke that would be more expensive to fix in the end than just trading the car in for another. But instead of taking them towards the track after everyone has had a dubious engineering lesson, like Crowley's expecting, Sonka encourages them into a large building adjacent to it. Now we get to the heart of how this all works. I have something to show you. I think you might like it. The building is home to half a dozen or so dark booths, covered in slowly moving strip lights, like something out of a sci-fi movie. They are styled like racing seats, each with a shiny curved roof and reinforced plastic sides. There's some sort of gaming headset set neatly on the leather of each one. This is where the Eriks come to test them out. They like to relax here after a long day at work. Apparently there's something soothing about the body going as fast as the mind, at least the way they tell it. Is this virtual reality? Adam asks with clear excitement. He reaches out for one of the headsets inside a booth, only to stop and look at Zonka for permission. Zonka waves him on. Yes, yes, please explore. There are some similarities, though you won't have to worry about motion sickness or side effects to the flashing lights, as these headsets bypass the eyes entirely. Crowley, who's picked one up to get a good look himself, can't help the noise he makes in response to that. Uh, I'm sorry, what? Because he's pretty sure you can't have virtual reality without seeing what's going on. How do you see in there, then? Yes, that makes no sense. Tanktop Dad agrees. Is there some sort of screen on the back wall? Sonka leans over until he can lift one of the headsets. No, it's all contained in the headset itself. The vibration inside matches that of the, let's call it a computer for simplicity's sake, controlling the car. The display and the track is beamed back, and the movements you make inside the booths, or that you think you're making at least, are relayed to the car so you can race in perfect safety. Crowley's pretty sure that's impossible. Zonka, that's impossible. Tanktop Dad's the one who points it out, before he even has the chance. Oh, you're quite welcome to try. Zonka looks incredibly pleased, gesturing towards him with the headset. He stares at it, blinking in surprise. I thought it was just for the kids. Nonsense. Don't we all crave a bit of excitement in our lives? I'd be more than happy if anyone who'd left school far behind wanted to give it a try. Dad, you have to. I can race against you. 
Brian says excitedly, he's already tangling himself in the leads, trying to get the headset over his head as he practically falls his way into a wolf. Though, judging by the black screens in them, no one is actually connected to anything yet. I'm up for a new experience. Sunglasses mom says, sliding into the booth opposite Pepper, who grins at her from where she's investigating the pieces of the helmet like she might be able to unravel secrets from it. What about you, Crowley? Tanktop Dad offers in his direction, and Crowley thinks that might be the first time any of the other parents have addressed him by name. Fancy taking a spinner on a track? He looks like he's expecting the answer to be no, but he's trying anyway. Mark. Crowley thinks his name is Mark. He's known these people long enough to call them by their names. Crowley was just about feeling like himself again, and he'll admit racing doesn't sound like an awful idea right now. He looks down at the heavy curve of black plastic he's still holding. Sure, why not? Excellent. I'm so very excited you've all decided to have a go. I'm hoping that this might be the future of gaming. It's perfectly safe. You are absolutely immune from harm while inside. If your signal is destabilized or your heart rate dangerously elevated, you will simply pop back into your booth and be free to plug in again. There's no cause for worry at all. There's a murmur of relief at Zonka's reassurance as people carefully strap themselves in. Crowley slides into the seat, looping the belt around himself and lifting the headset, which looks a lot like a flight helmet with a drop-down display. He's not sure exactly what's going to happen. He assumes there'll be some sort of tutorial he'll be able to follow. Then it'll work like any other racing game. You pick a car and get in it, drive it a few times. Maybe a bit more recklessly than in real life. But at least he'll be able to say he had a go. Zonka's cane taps sharply on the floor to get everyone's attention. There is only one rule to follow while inside the virtual network. Just one. If you follow it, you will be perfectly safe. If you see yourself anywhere inside, do not follow them, no matter where they promise to take you. Doing so will take you deeper than you can imagine. It will be very hard to bring you back. Please do not follow your doppelganger and you will be safe. Crowley feels a very unsettling, crawling sensation across the back of his neck. What the hell is that about? Understood. Sonka makes sure everyone is watching him. The kids all give frantic nods. Mark and Elaine not too. After a moment, Crowley gives a single nod. Don't follow himself. Got it. It wouldn't be the weirdest thing he'd been told to do today. He slips the headset over his head, hears a few snatches of excited chatter, 
And then the world turns into static. The fuck? Crowley finds himself standing on warm asphalt. He's no longer inside, but out. Somewhere quite a distance from where he just was. The sky is a pale blue, stretching up and on forever. The racetrack entrance is ahead of him, cars already making their way around it. Crowley can hear the sound of children laughing, and then an adult laughing. He lets his boot knock against the ground, and it gives a sharp thudding clunk that sounds perfectly real. This is not virtual reality. Crowley has had a go at virtual reality. He's got a kid on a whim, and then they played some stupid game where you were fighting mannequins that could only move when you did. It didn't look or feel anything like this. It had been a game, with wobbly controls and wires he kept catching with his arms. A headset that made your eyes sweat. Whatever this is, it isn't even close to possible yet. No one has this technology. Eat Vega, it isn't even within reach for the best tech companies. How does a sweet factory have technology that feels a hundred years ahead of the rest of the world? How does Zonka do any of what he does? He moves forward towards the voices, finds the kids getting suited up, and even the knowledge that this isn't real doesn't help when he watches a bunch of eleven-year-olds climb into cars that he suspects can do two hundred miles an hour. They can barely control their own bodies, let alone a giant cage of metal. What if they crash into each other? What if they crash into something else and catch fire? He feels like a bad uncle, but Adam is already being strapped in, the seat adjusted for his height. He looks so bloody small in there. For all that Zonka says this place isn't real, it feels very real. We'll let an Eric teach all of you children the basics first. It's much less fun if you don't know how to drive in the first place, after all. But we have all the time in the world to get you ready, since it doesn't actually exist once we're in here. Crowley looks over at Zonka, standing at the side of the track, a ridiculous racing scarf and goggles the only change to his outfit. Crowley could swear blind he hadn't gotten into a booth, doesn't remember there even being an extra one for him, but he's still here with them somehow. How did you get here before me? I could have sworn you were still grinning like an idiot while I was getting all tucked in. Oh, I'm sure I'm watching over you all still. Zonka offers, which makes even less sense. As if he could just choose where he wanted to be. So how are you here as well? 
a great deal of concentration. The admission seems to amuse him, enough that it tempts Crowley into another question, this one less of a pointed demand and more of a genuine curiosity. Is that a normal thing for you? Concentrate and the world changes? Sonka's cane gives a strange little tap-tap-tap on the floor. His attention fixed on the back and forth of cars in the test area and the sound of children laughing. That would be a marvel, wouldn't it? How are you feeling? No side effects from your arrival? Crowley hadn't really thought about it. He'd assumed that perfectly safe meant there wouldn't be any. That and the fact that he doesn't feel like he went anywhere just opened his eyes and found himself outside. Shouldn't this feel more like a dream? No, I feel fine. Should I be worried? Sonka smiles, a wealth of reassurance and a slow stretch of it. Not at all, but every visitor brings their unique experiences with them. I always try my best to make sure that mine are pleasant. Crowley resists the urge to mention that falling into a vat of warm chocolate could only be considered pleasant if you were very generous and had a change of clothes. I feel like me, if that helps. As you should, Zonka says, and he seems to be holding something like delighted laughter. Feeling like yourself is always a good start. I'm happy that today has picked up for you. You never answered my question. Zonka meets his eyes, still smiling. No, I didn't. Crowley wants to ask again, but he's been thinking a lot about Zonka's earlier pointed comments that he'd never told a lie. Maybe he really couldn't. Maybe he wasn't allowed. Crowley asking him would effectively be forcing him into it, which feels like a step too far for him. It's surprisingly difficult to seriously consider the possibility that Sonka might be something out of a children's story. But at this point, at this point he's willing to admit that none of this is normal or possible. The other parents may as well just be going along for the ride, and the kids, the kids that are left, that is, are having so much fun that it probably doesn't even occur to them how impossible this all is. Because there's no doubt about it. This is impossible. And Crowley has to wonder if maybe he should just go with it too. Maybe it will save him a lot of trouble in the end. But Zonka seems to like the way he keeps looking behind the curtains and calling him out on his nonsense, which makes Crowley very much want to keep doing it. So, I should keep an eye out for myself. Yes, always best to be safe. The only you that can be trusted in here is the original you. 
But don't worry, I can tell the difference. Crawley raises an eyebrow at the confidence. What happens if I follow them? He asks, because who wouldn't want to know more about an ominously threatening clone that meant you harm, in a virtual world that a complete stranger had convinced you to step into? I would have to come get you. Songa makes it sound like a fun adventure, but Crony suspects it's a bit more complicated than that. His rules may not make much sense, but they seem to be there for a reason. Bit of an inconvenience, that, he suggests, nudging for more of an explanation, because he knows how to be subtle, too. On the contrary, I would be very glad to bring you home. Crowley frowns at him over his glasses. I'm starting to think your whole thing isn't an act, that you really are exactly what you look like. And what's that? Crowley's throat makes a complicated noise without his input. For some reason he hadn't expected Zonka to want him to share. I don't know. Some sort of whimsical, out-of-touch, well-meaning but reckless, dubiously inhuman, candy-dispensing wizard, old-fashioned, kind to a fault. And I mean that very literally. He hadn't intended to be quite that honest. That was a lot. That felt like a lot to lay on someone. But Zonka seems delighted. Oh, I have my moments. Crowley doesn't doubt that. Yeah, there is a rumor that you killed someone. Yes, because clearly he doesn't know when to shut the fuck up. Not a single human being has died here since I took over the factory. Crowley watches the cars race around the track. Five of them, he assumes the kids and at least two Eric's. Not a single human being. Zonka doesn't seem to have a habit of telling the truth. But he also knows exactly how to phrase an answer to a question. Would you like to race, Crowley? They do look like they're having a good time. And if Zonka's right, then this whole place isn't real. So nothing that happens here matters. It's been a long time since Crowley didn't have to worry about anything. Yeah. I think I would. Time is very strange in this other place. It definitely exists, because Crowley thinks they'd all be stuck solid if it didn't. But whether or not it counts is another matter. He does a few laps of the track, races a couple of Eric's for the fun of it, though it takes him a bit longer to accept the fact that there's no danger if he takes a corner at a hundred and twenty miles an hour. Human beings are not built to readily accept temporarily immortality. He hits the barrier at one point, 
and his whole body prices for it, though he realizes after that of course it's not his body at all, and it feels like nothing more than a jostle you might find yourself subjected to in a supermarket. The realization that he can't actually be hurt in here sinks in slowly and reluctantly. Though there's a strange relief in that, and a little bit of existential horror, because he knows there are people who would pay anything, do anything, to feel this, or to stay in here forever. The kids stop for snacks at a small food van offering cones of chips, hot dogs and burgers, with ice cream sundaes for after. Sonka reassures them that the food will taste very real, but will neither fill them up nor count towards the caloric intake for the day. Which is probably a good thing, because Adam is testing to see how many chips a human being can physically eat, and Brian is stacking what looks like a dozen burgers between two woefully insufficient buns. They are laughing and talking about racing again and asking if there's a trophy for the most wins. Sonka reassures them that there is. Crowley treats himself to a cone of chips and stares into the distance, trying to pick out anything that's wrong about the horizon, or the fields around the racetrack, or the racetrack itself. But he might as well really be here, in the flesh. He can smell chips and asphalt and hot knuckle. He can feel the slight breeze on his face. His whole body is being lied to, but for the life of him, he can't convince it otherwise. You're not racing yourself, Sonka? Hmm? Oh, good heavens, no. I tend to enjoy comfort over high speeds, I'm afraid. <laughs> really? Because that boat ride was something of a trip, and I mean that almost literally. He offers his cone of chips on a whim expecting Zonka to refuse and insist that he doesn't eat while giving tours, or some equally normal excuse. Not that anything which has happened here so far has seemed normal. Instead, the man blinks at him, his face going oddly soft, and he reaches out and draws a chip from the paper, popping it into his mouth with a pleased expression. Crowley's tempted to offer him another, just to see it again, but settles for watching him cheer on the Eriks, who are still doing laps of the track. Crowley thinks nothing of talking with his mouthful, which clearly makes one of them. Would have thought a man like you would be all about the reckless lifestyle, especially somewhere it doesn't count. He tips his cone again, and somehow the vague offer of a chip becomes sharing them all, which has something warm unfolding in his chest. It's probably going to sting later, but in this virtual world where nothing can hurt you, he decides he doesn't care. 
Some girl licks salt of his thumbs and makes a considering noise. Just because something has no consequences doesn't mean you're not still responsible for it. I've not really thought about the nature of morality when it comes to virtual reality, to be honest. Oh, I encourage it. People often discover the strangest thing about themselves. Crowley's not sure he wants to know any more disappointing things about himself. So, is this place just for the Ariks, or what? Zonka offers an entirely different sort of smile in Crowley's direction. A shy thing that doesn't look like it gets pulled out very often. I do have something of a collection here. Collection? Are you mean cars? Crowley can't help the air of interest he puts in the world. I'm trying to decide what you'd collect. One of everything, or the one-of-a-kind experimental stuff. Or maybe you'd just go for whatever was the most colourful. Why don't you see for yourself? Zonka reaches across, and Crowley feels the sliding grip of the man's warm fingers, before he's pulled somewhere else. To be continued in Chapter 8.